Cable news, noisy, boring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime, on any screen at snc.tv and local now channel 525 hello hello welcome back to the show it's morgan zeggers <laughs> if you haven't yet hit subscribe today we have part two of pretty much answering your guys questions on the topic of reading books and acquiring a library we're going to be focusing more on how you can build your own home library and a few of my suggestions of some of the first books to buy. I remember last episode, if you haven't listened to that yet, I encourage you to do so because it kind of joins in with this one. But I encourage you to get two books. One was One Second After by William Fortune, which is about an EMP hitting America. <laughs> and it's been claimed that it's a very accurate depiction of what that would actually look like. And then the other book is The Age of Entitlement by Christopher Caldwell. So those are kind of two more modern books that if you're looking for some fresh reads, I definitely suggest Let's get on into the episode, though. I'm already really excited. Okay. But of course, before we get into the book topic, have you ever picked up a towel set? Because it felt really soft in the store, but you go to use it and it's not very absorbent. Basically, a towel leaving you out to dry. That's why my pillow developed the MyPillow Towels. Towels that work. It's crazy, I know. It's a problem that I've faced for my whole life. I have my pillows, towels that are black and white ones as well. And then I have a lot of green plants in my bathroom. I find it very relaxing that it's also calm and simple. Okay. So I encourage you to get the six piece towel set with two bath towels, two hand towels, two washcloths. It's a variety of colors. Again, I have the black ones and the white ones right now. You can get it six piece towel set for $49.99 with promo code Morgan. Go to mypillow.com. 60 day money back guarantee, 10 year warranty. That's mypillow.com code Morgan. Thank you guys. Okay. So before we get into the first question, I was actually reading this book this morning. While I was having my coffee and I decided I wanted to share a little piece with you because I know we always talk about motherhood. We talk about embracing more traditional roles. We talk about expanding education beyond just what the government schools have created education and turned or turned education into. And um, I was reading You Learn by Living by Eleanor Roosevelt. And it's really, really nice, you guys. So there was a part that I wanted to read for you before we get started. She says, there's a wonderful word, why, that children use. All children. When they stop using it, the reason too often is that no one bothered to answer them. No one tried to keep alive one of the most important attributes a person can have, interest in the world around him. No one fostered and cultivated the child's innate sense of the adventure of life. One of the things I believe most intensely is that every child's why should be answered with care and with respect. If you do not know the answer, and you often will not, then take the child with you to a source to find the answer. This may be a dictionary or an encyclopedia, which he is too young to use himself, but he will have had a sense of participation in finding the answer with you. But if you brush aside the eager question, the only way the young child has of learning to understand his world, and you say, I don't know, or don't bother me, can't you see I'm busy, or worse still, what a silly question, something bad will happen in time. If the child's curiosity is not fed, if his questions are not answered, he will stop asking questions. And then, by the time he's in his middle 20s, he will stop wondering about all the mysteries of his world. His curiosity will be dead. For curiosity, interest, and a longing to know more and more types of experience 
are the qualities that stimulate a desire to know about life and to understand it. They provide the zest that makes it possible to meet any situation as an adventure. Without that spirit of adventure, life can be a dull business. With it, there is no situation, however limiting, physically or economically, which cannot be filled to the brim with interest. Indeed, without interest, it is almost impossible to continue to learn. Certainly, it is impossible to continue to grow. Now, that was early on in the book, but I actually got to this section later on in the morning, and it really piqued my interest. If you guys are unfamiliar with what I've done before, one of the projects I've done on history is a series on the Federalist Papers with Turning Point USA. It's called Freedom Papers. If you guys want to listen to those episodes, basically, I don't even know where to begin. Each episode is breaking down one of the Federalist Papers. The Federalist Papers are all about back when our founders were trying to convince the American people to vote for or against the ratification of the U.S. Constitution. It was all about creating a stable and strong, long-lasting government that had strong state power, but connected the strong independent states with a small but strong federal government. And so you had some people, the anti-federalists, who did not want to ratify the U.S. Constitution because they were worried it gave the federal government too much power over the states. They wanted states to really be fully in control, or they didn't want a constitution at all, and they wanted little independent countries. There was a bunch of people in the dissenting side, right? But a lot of people worried that the Constitution, especially without the Bill of Rights, because that's what ended up being created to get to that negotiation point where everybody was happy and satisfied. And I'm very glad and thankful for the anti-federalists for working so hard to get a Bill of Rights, because I don't think we would be in this position now in our country. I don't think we would have lasted without it. But they were worried the Constitution would be too strong at the federal level and create a very centralized government that would eventually become a sort of monarchy or dictatorship or some sort of oppressive regime that the colonists had just won a revolutionary war seeking freedom against over in England. So they didn't want to repeat history in that way. And I, I mean, you can't blame them. I'm sure they had massive trust issues when it came to giving power to a centralized force. So that all being said, I love that. I love that concept. I love American history. I love America's founding. And I love the Federalist Papers. Most importantly, as we're dealing with this mess of politics these days, I'm especially thankful for state power, for our system of federalism, where we have independent states that are a part of a union. (laughs) I don't even know where to start on this topic, but let's just say the people at the local level, state level and federal level have all basically forgotten what our founders intended in our constitutional republic made up of individual powerful states, but brought together in a team of a union. And so we are very much nationalized, very much focused on what's going on in D.C., and it's just completely overblown. That could be many, many podcast episodes. And what do you know? It is if you go listen to Freedom Papers. (laughs) But speaking of all that, Connor Clegg and I, when we were hosting the show together last year, we would often talk about a figure, FDR the president who was president around the time of World War II. He had a wife named Eleanor Roosevelt. Now, during FDR's presidency, if you guys didn't know this, a lot of stuff could have happened in America if he pushed forward with his plan. And a lot of people look back on that time period when he made all these huge government programs and say, wow, that was the start of the mess that would eventually become the uncontrollable mass of government power that is now in Washington, D.C. So looking at this, all that I just talked about, I found it interesting. A segment in Eleanor Roosevelt, his wife, 
In her book, she talks about how she used to not understand the relationship between the state and federal governments. This is what she said. I'm often asked how I acquired an interest in politics. My usual answer is that it is because of my uncle, Theodore Roosevelt, and my husband. But actually, I think a little incident that occurred when my husband and I were on our first trip to Europe after our wedding stimulated my curiosity about government and politics. We were staying with Ronald Ferguson and his wife, Lady Helen. She was the daughter of a statesman and the wife of a man who had been a privy seal for Scotland and governor general of Australia. She had taken part in innumerable campaigns and she was keen about politics. As I came into the living room for tea one afternoon while we were there, she looked up and said, there's one question I have always wanted to ask some American. Will you please explain the relationship between your states and your federal government? Eleanor Roosevelt said, I was floored. No one had taught me how my own government worked. I was saved because at that moment my husband came in. I said, darling, Lady Helen would like to know the relationship between the states and the federal government. He gave her a full answer and I became aware of a real gap in my education. I made up my mind to find out as soon as possible how my own government functioned so I would not be embarrassed in this way again. So I I included that in this podcast episode because I just found it interesting that I I was reading this today and then had a, a podcast episode about reading and books, but also because, like I said, her husband is kind of infamous for creating a massive, massive shift in our government where huge amounts of power went to the federal government away from the states and we became more of a nationalized government. And that's one of the messages, of course. Another is, I don't know if you guys know this, but she's it's pretty well known that she was in a very high position of power while her husband wasn't really capable, even though he was in the White House. So she did have quite a lot of power when she was there serving as first lady. And then that third thing is just a message for anybody. She was a married woman. She's on her trip after her honeymoon and she doesn't understand her government. And so she later became first lady of the United States. It shows the ability for people to grow and learn and you're never too old. It's never really too late for you to take on a new experience or journey of learning. So I thought that that was a really wholesome message. Um, But let's get on into it. What's that first question that I have? Okay, so I get a lot of questions of Morgan. You're pretty adamant about buying physical books. Why the heck don't you just get a Kindle? Or why do you want those physical books? Because you talk about, you know, budgeting and buying them quite often. Yeah, so if you guys don't know this about me, for the last few years, I have been... (laughs) I've been saving money each week or each month that I specifically dedicate to buying more books that I want to own as a human being and that I want to have in my my larger and larger library as I grow older. And I personally just enjoy buying them and collecting them. I like having them physically. I like to read physical books versus scanning them on my phone. But I am also on a more serious note, very adamant about having physical books because I feel like it's a lot more aggressive and it's a lot harder for bad people to get rid of physical books versus controlling information access on the internet or changing what things are said on the internet and acting like they never even edited it. Like that version that's on there now has just always been that version. And so there's so much value that comes in having the book the year it was published, the publisher, the author, all of it. And you can't just edit it out. You've got to come burn this book if you don't want me to read this information. Does that make sense? So to me, physical documentation, if we're thinking about it societally, historically, it just matters so, so much, okay? Number one, 
enemies cannot erase the past or their previous lies, and they can't so easily change things. What do I mean by that? I mean, when people like the WHO change the definition of herd immunity on the internet, all they have to do is just edit the website on the back end, and poof, the definition of that word has changed from being how many are vaccinated in a society and how many have uh, experienced the illness combined together to build a herd immunity. Uh, Now that has been changed on the internet to only be herd immunity is how many in a society are vaccinated. So that kind of change, poof. Now, you know, you can be like, Morgan, well, we have the screenshots of the old site. All right. You know, as long as we keep telling the generation generations and generations after us that this is what it used to look like and all this stuff, then, yeah, I guess we could print out those screenshots and we can try and document that as much as possible. But again, all we have is that screenshot of what that website used to look like. I feel like it's much more profound if you have to take a textbook from one year and a textbook from another year and you can show, look at how they've changed this definition in something that used to be so respected, a a textbook like that used to be so respected and trusted. And now it's like, wait, why'd they fully change the definition? I just feel like it's different. So it makes it a lot harder for them when these things are printed out and are held by the citizens, by the people that they want to control. On top of that, they can't really hide their previous lies as easily if there's physical documentation of their lies. So that also helps. And then, of course, it's really hard for them to go and change it. You basically just have to burn the books. That's where book burning comes in, where they don't want us to read the stuff that can either expose them or bring us to light, bring our minds to a concept or a topic or a feeling that goes against the regime. Now, the other aspect of it is that with these physical books, we can preserve fact. We can preserve truth and what truth has always been. Because now, I mean, if you, we could take biology, for example, the wokeness of the LGBTQ community, all that crazy stuff that's going on. We can just look at a biology book that was printed 10 years ago to see how simple and plain things used to be versus the kind of woke curriculum that we see these days. We have that physical documentation. Basically, we can have access to what the wording was, what the definitions were, what the narrative was, what the truth was before talking about any of those things became wrong think in the eyes of the regime. The next reason to getting away from politics, the next reason I love physical books so much is because it's kind of crazy how dependent we are on the Internet. So the two solutions to that are just to learn and memorize and gain those skills and and know how to do things and know about things in your own mind. But the other is to have it physically documented in a book or written down in a way that it can't be erased and removed from existence. Or if the internet shuts down, if we get hit with an EMP, you know what I mean? You don't just lose your chicken soup recipe. You either know how to make your chicken soup or you have it written down. We have become so dependent on the internet that we haven't really thought about like, wait a second, if this wasn't accessible to us, how would we know how to do X, Y, Z? And that can range from simple things like little recipes that you love to how to build homes. I mean, like imagine, imagine if it all just broke down one day and you couldn't go onto YouTube to watch a YouTube tutorial. How would you learn? And that's where the other really cool thing of of documentation and books really comes in is I'm not saying it's going to be end of the world. But if you have a home and you are going to be prepared for anything and you're trying to build a really wonderful compound for your family, 
you need resources and books are resources. Not only that, but they are resources with thousands of years of human trial and error. And that goes for things like maps and directions and traveling information and survival things for outside and for journeying to healing and health to gardening and how to actually maintain that kind of stuff, to build nourishing things on your property that feed your family, what's safe to consume, what's dangerous, all that stuff. And then even those bigger things on how to build the trinkets, the things around your property that you may need. And and I know you might be like, Morgan, I'm never going to need this. But I just think it's really weird that if we didn't have the internet and the ability to Google or YouTube these things, I don't even think people have the critical thinking skills or the creativity or the ability to work with their hands in simple ways enough that that many of them would be able to put two and two together and start to to create on their own. Like I my hope for a lot of people out there is that they kind of get more serious about learning how to build things with their own hands because it might get a little more rough out there. That being said, I'm saying all this because I I don't just suggest that you guys buy political books. I know that I get a lot of questions about that. But I have a wide array of books from lifestyle and survival and outdoors stuff and fishing guides and maps. You would not believe how many map books I have all the way to child education. And I'm looking looking on my couch right now and I have a book called Children's Writer's Word Book. Wordless Group by Grade, A Thesaurus of Listed Words, Reading Levels for Cinnamons, and Advice and Tips on Word Usage. And it's I just find this kind of stuff is so interesting, but it basically teaches you how to communicate to different age groups, primary age group, elementary, middle school, high school, what kind of words to use, how to form those sentences so that they best absorb them and grow into the next level. Like it's really, really cool stuff. But I have this book because I want to understand a child's mind and what will help them grow over the years. So I have a ton of childhood development ones as well. Let's get into, though, how we can actually start building out our libraries and how we can include books more in our lives, because I think it's so valuable and so interesting. I believe it was Allie Rogers. We worked together at the nonprofit. She said something of like, you you need to be reading a book. You must always have a book that you're reading, whether that's listening to it or reading it on the side, whatever it is. Like everybody should just have a book that they're currently working through. And I couldn't agree more. Uh, I usually work through like two or three at the same time just because that's how my mind works. But not only do I want you guys to have a physical library built up because who knows what's about to happen and I want everybody to have access to these resources and information, I also think it's just really important for your mind. You've got to use it or you're going to lose it. So it's not just physical muscles. It's not just going to work out in the gym and moving your body. It's also working the muscle that is your brain. Now, The one thing I will suggest, and I'm not big on, you know, wasting money or anything, I really do think this is valuable, you guys, is I pay for an Audible subscription. And so I've mentioned this before, maybe on the last episode, but I don't really listen to heated political stuff anymore. I just cannot make room for it in my mind. I don't want to. I used to wake up every morning, listen to Mark Levin scream into his microphone, call everybody all the funny names, and I would go for a run while I did that down the mountain. It was super fun. It was during COVID and I was amped up and that has value to it too, to hear someone commentate for sure. But I have replaced the time that I used to spend doing that with books on Audible. And I can't remember how much it is per month. It's not a lot. It's like a Chipotle meal. That's how I, that's how I rate things of how much they cost. It's basically a Chipotle meal a month and that's worth it to me. 
but you get a certain number of credits and you can listen to books. So I'll do that when I was in Arizona, especially when I was hiking and running every morning because it's just so beautiful and there's so many trails. I would listen to audiobooks in the back end. And I save the audiobooks more for topics that you don't need to be super attentive to, specifically ones like historical stories or relaxing kind of inspirational books, stories, stuff like that. One of my favorite books, it was like this 10-hour book all on Catherine the Great because I'm very interested in the history of Russia, the Russian Revolution, and everything that came before it. So I encourage you guys, for the sake of your own minds, to start including audiobooks whenever you have those more peaceful times in your day. Now, let's get into acquiring the books because I get it, okay? You are probably like me in the sense that I am definitely not somebody who's able to write a big fat check and get a fancy collection of all of the worldwide classics that are, you know, leather bound, hardcover with gold lettering all over them, right? Like I I am nowhere near that. Those are not going to be lining my wall. Instead, I personally, not only is it just not something that I can do, but I also just really love the character that comes in the different kind of books lining a shelf. So I've grown to love collecting books here and there, and I've totally gotten away from trying to create this pristine, beautiful library. I have books all over the place because I've been living in apartments. So That means I have book stacks hidden behind the couches. I line the under part of my bed with books because there's like the gap between the floor and the bed. I have them everywhere because I don't exactly have a library yet. You know what I'm saying? But I've got a lot of books. (laughs) So finding places to put them has been kind of fun. But I have so many. You might be like, Morgan, Jane, you are rich or something if you could buy all these because I see the prices of books these days. They're like $40. What I do is I am definitely an active user of those used books on Amazon. You can get any book you want for like $2, $6. Sometimes they're like $8 more. Whatever they are, they are significantly cheaper than buying the original copy of a book. And I highly encourage you to do this because you can rate them on Instagram. They're like rated by uh, you know, super bad quality and, and torn up or good, usable, stuff like that. If you get like fair to good condition from Amazon, you are literally going to get a fairly new looking book, maybe with some pages folded down, whatever it is, completely worth it. It's got a little character. It's cute. It's different. And I personally enjoy the vibe of it. So I encourage you to get your classics from there. I usually buy myself. I haven't really anymore because I've been on the road a lot, but I have usually sat down once a week and gotten myself like one or two books on Amazon because I have Amazon Prime and they'll come and then what do you know I've added to my collection so that's how I get my books in case you guys didn't know and then I keep my eye out of course if I see like a thrift store or a cute little shop and I'll walk in and check it out but for the most part it's uh, use Amazon books okay great suggestion by Morgan now The next topics, I get a lot of requests for what to buy if you aren't necessarily in the mood to actually get a library yet or you want to and you don't even know where to start. I will give you some suggestions in addition to the two that I mentioned in the last episode. For history, American history and general history, the first two that I would suggest are number one, The Federalist. It's written by Publius. It's the pen name of Alexander Hamilton, James Madison, and John Jay. They're three of the founding fathers, and they wrote the 85 essays 
that are within The Federalist that were combined together to create the book The Federalist. Uh, And in them, they advocate for the ratification of the U.S. Constitution. And of course, what do you know? We ended up ratifying the Constitution. That's because the Federalists debated and came to an agreement with the Anti-Federalists that the Anti-Federalists would join in and vote to ratify as long as the Bill of Rights was added in to the Constitution, to our government, and voila, now we have this wonderful combination. But Federalist number two. Two of 85 is my favorite paper, and I'll read to you just a little bit so you can see how wonderful it really is. This one was written by John Jay, and I like this one because it's just really inspiring, okay? It says, It has often given me pleasure to observe that independent America was not composed of detached and distant territories, but that one connected, fertile, widespreading country was the portion of our Western Sons of Liberty. Providence has in a particular manner blessed it with a variety of soils and productions and watered it with innumerable streams for the delight and accommodation of its inhabitants. A succession of navigable waters forms a kind of chain round its borders, as if to bind it together, while the most noble rivers in the world, running at convenient distances, present them with highways for the easy communication of friendly aids and the mutual transportation and exchange of their various commodities. With equal pleasure, I have as often taken notice that Providence has been pleased to give this one connected country to one united people, a people descended from the same ancestors, speaking the same language, professing the same religion, attached to the same principles of government, very similar in their manners and customs, and who, by their joint councils, arms, and efforts, fighting side by side throughout a long and bloody war, have nobly established general liberty and independence. (laughs) Wow! I mean, come on, guys. How cool was that? I mean, really, like, seriously. But that one connected, fertile, widespreading country was the portion of our Western sons of liberty. And then he says, And then Providence has been pleased to give this one connected country to one united people. I mean, come on. That is just amazing. So as you can see, Federalist 2 is my favorite of the 85 because basically of that paragraph right there. If you guys don't have that, you are hugely missing out. And it's not just because, oh, it's it's written by our founders. We should respect it. Instead, you'll see that all 85 essays are evaluating different things of the concerns about the Constitution, the concerns that people had about creating a government with too little power, too much power. And of course, this is the key thing. They basically evaluate all of human history that they at least had access to at the time, all of the human history that they know of to see where the heck people have gone wrong in the past and how do we prevent that from happening in America. And it ended up being things like separation of power, checks and balances, a system of federalism within a republic where power is spread out and not centralized. Very, very useful book because it's our founders basically researching and reacting and evaluating all of human history to make sure that they made America after having learned those lessons from history and from our first attempt with the Articles of Confederation. So I think it's a very important book to read for anybody that's interested in general governance and American history. Now, the next book is more about socialism, communism, tyranny, stuff like that. It's called Road to Serfdom by Frederick Hayek, and it's one of the first books I read before uh, I started my nonprofit. I interview survivors from communist countries. Me and Allie do that together, and we have a blast, and Christy runs more of the lifestyle stuff at the nonprofit. But Road to Serfdom is one of the top books we recommend for students, parents, anybody out there that wants to learn more. 
I'll read two sections from that. This first section is really great on authoritarians versus people who believe in true freedom of the individual. You know what I mean? Like there's crazy people on the far right and far left, and whether they're communists or Nazis, whatever you want to call them, it's just as simple as this. You have some people who believe that they can control others, and then you have others who believe in true freedom and choice for the individual. You either believe in freedom or you believe in forceful authority. And Frederick Hayek talks about this here. I'll read this segment. He says, no less significant is the intellectual outlook of the rank and file in the communist and fascist movements in Germany before 1933. The relative ease with which a young communist could be converted into a Nazi or vice versa was well known, best of all to the propagandists of the two parties. The communists and the Nazis clashed more frequently with each other than with other parties simply because they competed for the same type of mind and reserved for each other the hatred of the heretic. Their practice showed how closely they are related. To both the real enemy, the man with whom they had nothing in common, was the liberal of the old type. While to the Nazi, the communist, and to the communist, the Nazi, and to both the socialist, are potential recruits made of the right timber, they both know that there can be no compromise between them and those who really believe in individual freedom. I mean, wow. So what he's saying there is the mindset of a radical communist and the mindset of a radical Nazi are basically one and the same. They might believe in different things, but at the end of the day, they want massive amounts of control and they hate people who just want to be free. And so it's really easy to turn a communist into a Nazi and a Nazi into a communist because they are both susceptible to believing in that kind of governance and control over other people. Very interesting. Now, the other part of this is this is a classic one. A lot of people know this by Hayek. One more quote, he says, liberty not only means that the individual has both the opportunity and the burden of choice, it also means that he must bear the consequences of his actions and will receive praise or blame for them. Liberty and responsibility are inseparable. And so that's just a classic message. You know what I mean? Other instances from this book that I'm, are coming to mind are him talking about how the left likes to, socialists like to change language, control the narrative. And do so by literally changing the definitions of words to eventually fit their winning narrative. So we see that a lot today. I've talked about that quite often. And he talks about the tactics of socialists rising up throughout the last century or so. And it was written um, in the 1900s. So I encourage you guys to get that as well. Again, it's a great lesson, especially if you want to talk to your kids about socialism and about how some people believe the best way to achieve positivity in society is to control others and force them into doing certain things. You know, it's unfortunate. Now, this is also a book that I encourage everybody to get. It's called The Encyclopedia of Country Living. I've done a few posts on this before, but it is basically a huge book. It's worth the money, and it has everything you could possibly need to know. If by any chance something happened, or if you maybe didn't grow up on a farm and you want to know the basics, and you just want to have that as a resource in your house in case the internet goes down, you know what I'm saying? I encourage you to buy The Encyclopedia of Country Living. I have it. It's fantastic. It's basically everything you need to know. No, I'm not expecting you to become an expert farmer just by reading it. But I, again, if YouTube how-to tutorials was just removed and all of those resources were just gone, you would want to have a book like this in your house, right? Right? Okay, buy that book. And last, this one is for everybody out there that's hoping to find something 
for children. Maybe you're getting excited about doing that one day. You want to take more control of how children are raised in society. And so you want to do that with your own family first. I encourage you, a great way to get started is to read them the series from The Little House on the Prairie with Laura Ingalls Wilder. It's a great start for any family that wants to be rooted in, in really good core things. Quote is, it is so wonderful to be there, safe at home, sheltered from the winds and the cold. Laura thought that this might be a little like heaven where the weary are at rest. And just that kind of peaceful, values-driven, Christ-driven messaging is really, really subtle, exciting because there's adventures in the books. It's honestly enjoyable for parents to read as well. You're not going to be bored reading a, a bleh child book all the time. It is really intriguing for all ages, and it gets those kids hearing adventure time, outside time, more running back to your roots themes, all with the mix of values added in. So I encourage you guys to get those ones just as a little start. Thank you guys for listening. I really appreciate it. If you haven't yet, hit subscribe, and I'll see you next episode. Thank you for the questions, by the way. I feel like the question podcast episodes are are really, really fun. Bye-bye.